Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. The Treehouse, episode 47. A head so noble and high. With Danny Baker and me, Louise Pepper. And a very good morning to everybody. Here we go, attempting once again to be a good deed in a wicked world. Another two hours of fun for old and young, without the slightest hint of vulgarity. Uh, although, I suspect, uh, in the bootleg version of this, that, 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 that ten minutes we had before we came on the air, uh, touching upon current events, right a bit right, that wouldn't have lived up to our usual billing. But we've exorcised that, everyone, and welcome aboard uh, the tree house now uh, perhaps as you sorry mate you're going to say something no as i was gonna say it's just our equivalent of walking into the office while you take your coat off yeah and have yeah. that bit of who's got the kettle on we, d- we just had to settle down cover anyone else, main event anyone else come on the a313 uh, anyway but uh we that, that is not our brief so uh here we go there was always a little um uh business to be done beforehand looking into highways and byways on this day in history but not in the usual way and if we could have well i mean i suspect um, other podcasts, because I'm aware there are other ones, I probably would just say, "Wow, what a what a day for birthdays!" You got your you got your uh, Peggy Lee, George oh. Formby, Al Jolson, Robert Morley, Peter Cushing, Miles Davis, John Wayne, Levon Helm, Lauren Hill, Lenny Kravitz. All birthdays today, right? So that's just, that's just in your kind of musicians' pop culture. By the way, Peggy Lee, mm-hmm. um, uh, according uh, uh, to the uh, uh, always tremendous Reverend Richard Coles today, was discovered by the wife of. Conservative MP for Shrewsbury, who sponsored a private members' bill for the sale of surgical trusses. Now, that's the kind of thing I would normally think, <laughs> but he got there first on that. Wow! And Peggy Lee's real name? Norma Dolores Eggstrom. That's her real name. So, there's plenty of... Incredibly, I missed one off that list. It's my dad's birthday. Spud would have been 92. Don't tell people that, 92. Anyway, but I can't imagine the old man 92, but there it is. But all of those are shoved to one side. And we start the show any second now, everyone. Uh, There's a clock ticking somewhere. Uh, So just as a a little uh, aperitif, uh, John Reed 
in Texas, uh, a lawman in Texas. His birthday today, you probably don't know him as John Reed, perhaps. No. But you might know him because he made his first appearance today as the Lone Ranger. <laughs> That's the Lone Ranger. I don't think I've ever actually watched the Lone Ranger. No, I, I don't. Now, the thing is, um, and, and of course, here we are in a brand new future where everything's better than it ever was. Um, and, and the idea that uh, you know young girls play with dolls and boys play with cowboys and Indians is, it, it, you know, it's been it's been absolutely shattered. That although mm. it, it bears some some truth, but I never liked cowboys at all. Never liked cowboy films. Didn't like anything like that. Lone Ranger meant absolutely nothing to us. No, nothing to us. Others were not into it. At all. No, with well, the Lone Ranger, but then again, we must bend at the knee and say, well, there are plenty out there who does, of course. And uh, Tonto is uh, uh, Jay Silverhills, whose birthday it is today as well. <laughs> no way. It really, really is. No. It really, really is. Honestly, as we talk, it's May the 26th. Um, you can look at all of these. Uh, of course, he gave uh, the Lone Ranger his other name, which is Kimosabi, which yes. means the trusted scout, and all of that. By the way, and I promise you that this is this is all a preamble to something else. And I know you've got things to do out there, uh, like riot in the streets, if the current mood of the nation is anything to go by. But um, Socially distanced, uh, right? He wore the Lone Ranger because he didn't want anyone to know he was John Reed. Uh, one of those re- the, the weakest, flimsiest mask in the world, the domino black mask, the little Harley Quinn mask, mm. as worn by Robin in Batman and Zorro. Now, that is a really ridiculous mask, isn't it? <laughs> it really is. Only people you ever see wearing those are, uh, are people in homemade porn films who don't want to be recognised. That's that's all you ever see. <laughs> that is not what I was expecting. <laughs> no, I know. But I've seen stills from these things, and you think, mate, I used, to read, I used to read the news of the world. Oh, I'll own up. But you always saw those. And you thought, mate, I don't know. It's not it's, it's not even a bank robber's mask. But um, So there, there we have the, the terrible mask you to wear the flimsiest of all, second flimsiest. Uh, they used to sell Guy Fawkes, Guy Fawkes masks that were made out of cardboard. The only mask you could buy. Uh, yeah, that, that, um, the, the riot has now put that face on it, you know, with the little pencil. Yes, the uh, V for Vendetta, isn't it? The Vend- V for Vendetta one. But they used to sell those in uh, pastel colours, red and green, and you put them on your guy if you went penny for the guy. But the sh- little bit of elastic they added them was the flimsiest thing known to me. Honestly, <laughs> I didn't have a very big head when I was a kid. I'm not my brother-in-law, Rod. Uh, and we got a great email about big heads in a minute. I've got but a massive you- head. We used to. Have you, oh yes, you told me yeah, that before. Well, yeah. you'd have been no good for this. Uh, they they petered out about seventy five, but they, it was a little bit of elastic, and I mean a little thin bit of elastic, uh, with two staples either side that you were supposed to, of course, snap over your head. Well, as soon as you stretched it this far, dunk, it was gone, and you had to hold it on your face. You can't <laughs> hold the mask on your face. So anyway, uh, the point being, Peps, it's at the Lone Rangers and J C Silverhill Thursday, but today in sixteen fifteen. Oh, OK. Starts any second now. Uh, the sedan chair made its first appearance on the streets of London. <laughs> now, all of us... Yeah, go on, Peps, what? I was about... In these times of less pollution and uh, mm. traffic... The sedan chair needs a comeback. Sure. You'd think so, but it's not—it's not so much a sedan chair. It's getting the four, let's face it, men to pull you around. Oh, yeah, it, true. It, you know, true. Uh, yeah. I'll, I'll get to something about that in a second. But I looked up what the definition of a sedan chair is. Of course, I did, and it's a windowed cabin carried on poles. <laughs> Now, it is. It's a windowed cabin, and it's carried on poles. Uh, sometimes it can be a bed or a couch with curtains. Now, oh, that's... <laughs> a bed! 
<laughs> people used to get in bed and be carried around the streets, living the dream. And they were often preceded by what was known as link boys. How about this? Uh, link boys were a very common sight in the 16th and 17th and some of the 18th century. There were children who would, at night would light your way with lit torches of pitch and tallow through the streets. And they, would, they were called the link boys. And they would head in front of your, your sedan chair too. Uh, uh, in, in, in apropos what you just said, in the 70s, it said, when I was looking up, Bath resident and entrepreneur John Cunningham revived the sedan chair business for a short amount of time. <laughs> I, bet, I bet it's lovely to think about, but what kind of job description? Hello, you advertised in the in the courier for uh, your work? Yeah, yeah. I want you to, 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 I want you to carry me through the streets. <laughs> <laughs> Have you got three friends? Uh, exactly. Well, it, in Bath, um, because these 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 um, uh, these boys used to walk in front of it, the Link Boys. Uh, uh, Basically, your headlights. Yeah, your headlights. But in Bath, I was reading, several houses still have link extinguishers outside. Giant candle snuffers, they are. And the houses have them because, obviously, at the end of the shift, the kids needed to put them out. And in Bath, several houses still have those giant candle snuffers. And so, Peps, this leads us, I promise you, the last thing before the show. I thought, I wonder if Amazon sells candle (laughs) snuffers. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, there's a page and a half of candles. Of candle snuffers. What's blowing them out? Well, it's usual on this, if you've heard the show before. uh, And if you haven't heard the show before, oh, it's on its way. This is all all the orchestra tuning up. Uh, But the the, the candle snuffers on there, disappointingly, most of them have got five-star reviews. Which makes you think, "Mm, I suppose so, what could go wrong with it? Although you can, and you'd be more interested in this with your carousel of uh, fireplace instruments. My fire irons. You can buy whole sets of snuffers and their accoutrements. You get in the sets a snuffer, a wick trimmer, a candle cutter, and a candle wick dipper. All designed to meet, one said, your candle demands. What's a candle wick dipper? I don't go to a candle wick dipper. It, it sounds, again, obscene, but... Uh, uh, and I went all through them. They're all five-star reviews. They all look the same, really. They are some kind of, you know... Um, brass or something, aren't brass they? Brass cap with a, yeah. a long stick. Uh, but uh, then, at the bottom, there was our friend. Only had two and a half star- stars, which means some of the reviews would have been negative. And all other, So I looked at them, and here, ladies and gentlemen, uh, are the exhaustive research results for finding bad reviews of a candle snuffer on Amazon. One just said, don't waste your money. This doesn't work. Now, how it couldn't work isn't explained, but a little further down, somebody says, I held this snuffer over the flame for ages and it still didn't go out. Now, is that user the, error? The, the, I was going to say, the, the phrase, you only had one job, springs to mind here. <laughs> but I held the snuffer over the flame for ages. As you say, what about... Didn't you ever think about that? <laughs> Why would you stand there for ages trying to get... Why get over it as well? Plunge, plunge! I, I like them. I like the idea of that. I do like the idea of that. And there's a great old joke about a candle snuffer for another time. But uh, the, uh, uh, the, 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 I like the idea of putting that little cap over it and mm. putting it out. It exhausted of oxygen. But anyway, you can go on there now, ladies and gentlemen. Sort yourself out from the many, many candle snuffers there are. And uh, But the, the, beware of the one that plainly doesn't work, even if you hold the snuffer over the flame for ages. What are we doing this morning, Peps? Number one, breaking things in shops. Number two, stuff you found while renovating. Number three, 
terrible plays and songs you wrote as a kid. <laughs> number four, the world's dullest job. And number five, when cute animals attack. We have got, uh, fortunately, tremendous responses on all of those. And if you did get in touch about any of the subjects, they all remain on file. And uh, we do, every three shows or so, do a, a roundup of those we have missed. But every, nothing is wasted. What have you got for us, Peps? Well, this is a, a dull job from Jay. It says, back in 1994, I worked with my friends at the Walker's Crisp Factory in Thermiston. Hmm. We were excited to be doing the double at the time by sourcing a local job agency who gave you a different name, paid you a flat 90 quid, creamed a ton of money off the top and then didn't tell the DSS. I had come over from Belfast for the summer after graduating and the IRA had blown up my local job centre so there was no need to physically sign on. This was handy. Upon entering the factory, I was introduced to a crisp supervisor who buddied up with me for the day to show me the ropes. I was put onto a six-pack lane and became Mr Cheese and Onion. As Mr Cheese and Onion, my sole job was to pick up two individual pack of crisps in each hand from a conveyor belt, pop them into the six-pack bag, which would then go onto another conveyor belt. I had eight hours training for this. (laughs) And this was to be my job for eight hours a day, five days a week and all the crisps I could eat. After day three, my brain had completely switched off. So I decided to mix things up a bit by adding three packs sometimes, sometimes four, sometimes none. It got so bad, I started to write fake hostage notes saying things like, (laughs) if you find this note, I'm trapped in walkers, send help, etc. I would love to get one of those. And slipping them into the bag. However, I must have seemed to have excelled at picking up and dropping crisps as after a month I was promoted and became crisp supervisor. I then had to show the trainees, again over an eight-hour period, how to pick up two bags of crisps and drop them into a larger bag. I lasted four more weeks in the job before my IQ dropped into double digits and I had to move on to pastures new for the sake of my sanity and I have never eaten Walker's cheese and onion ever again. So there you are. You see, this is a salute to those who, uh, uh, you know, on behalf of all of us, had to do these uh, mundane jobs, which have now been replaced by machinery, yeah, uh, which true. is not a bad thing. Uh, uh, here's one here. How about this? Um, and again, I'm sorry, the, the, the name has dropped off this, but you know who you are. <laughs> uh, <laughs> for a while, I worked as a stock taker uh, in B&Qs overnight. We had to count everything. I had to count individual screws, I promise you. Imagine 12 hours counting screws. It was monotony on an evil level. Uh, and somebody else here, again, I'm sorry. Is that not know. one of those initiation, go and... Go and no, no, apparently... It, 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 well, no, because people help themselves. I mean, people do help themselves. You, you can always tell them, yeah, you can, you can see when someone's on the oyst. Uh, <laughs> Uh, my, my, uh, that is my old man's birthday. My old man had a tremendous thing he used to do, uh, to, certainly to me when I was about 13, 14, but he did it to his friends, and I suppose lots of people did. You'd be standing in a store, let's say Selfridges in London, perhaps. Imagine that this happened to you, if your own parent. You might, suppose you were standing there, I don't know, in one of the uh, handbag aisles or something, right? And you're looking around. My old man would walk away from you and then walk fast towards you when there was a few staff within earshot and say, and he would say, Dan, Dan, shh, store detective. I said, but, what, oh, I don't know, well, so what? I'm, uh, hello. <laughs> and he would keep walking. And of course, all the staff would look at me. <laughs> he would. He would do that. He did it to my mum. He used to do it to my mum. Bet, store detective. <laughs> <laughs>
quiet, so what? As loud as she could, he would shout it across Marks and Spencer's bed. Watch out. Store detective. <laughs> I promise you, that was one of the old man's favourite gags at. Dad, I'm going in there. Don't put your head in the door in a minute and say store detective. <laughs> <laughs> it would do that. Anyway, um, here's another one. Uh, when I first started in the jewellery trade in Birmingham, I had a job soldering cufflinks, the older style of the chain. I used a tiny conveyor belt. Think about the size of an old VCR recorder. And I would apply solder, put the cufflinks on the conveyor belt and retrieve them from the other side. The company, I promise you, was called Zender. I have worked in an attic at the top on this tedious task. Of course, I was the prisoner of Zender. It's very good of you to say, come forward and say these um, tedious jobs that somebody had to do. But uh, give us something else from over there, perhaps. This is uh, from Juliet in Bedfordshire, Breaking Things in Shops. August 1979. I was nine years old on holiday in Lowestoft. My mum dragged me into the gift shop and said, stand there and don't move. Over there, it turned out to be next to a large display unit in the middle of the shop containing glass trinkets and the like. Ah. <laughs> oh dear, oh very dear. I was wearing flip-flops for the first time and managed to wedge one of them underneath the dis- display case. I panicked, tried to yank it out, but lost my balance. The display case and a good proportion of contents crashed to the gown. I burst into tears and mum almost fainted. She offered to pay for the breakages, but the shopkeeper must have taken pity on a weeping child trying to retrieve a lost flip-flop. To try and make it up to the shopkeeper, I bought a leather elephant-shaped purse, a small ornamental cash register and a glass bird with a nodding head, if you remember those. I still have them to this day, but the flip-flops were never worn again. Oh, I was just on that because it was the old man's birthday um, and those extraordinary items bought there. Uh, Mm. Do do, do you remember, of anyone out there, the first present you bought for either your mum and dad on their birthday that you were very proud of? Because I do. I bought, I remember being about seven and I saved up two and six. When I say saved up, I probably asked my mum for it, but nevertheless, in my memory, I saved up from my my job counting peanuts. Anyway, but the um, uh, actually my job, if you heard the last uh, yes. podcast, wrapping bad fruit in tissue paper. But uh, I saved two and six, and I went to a, a kind of a news agent called Jacks that used to be on the far side of the estate, where I noticed days before they had fountain pens on a card, lots of different fountain on a card on their wall, and I bought my dad a yellow one. It was two and six, and I remember that. That was the first present I bought him, and the pride, and of course the fuss he made. Well, look at that! It's got to be gold and all of this, and he didn't. But hearing those uh, items bought there, and on me and Dad's birthday, I do remember that the very first item I bought for anyone in their family, on my own, under my own steam, was a two and six fountain pen. Anything like that, Pat? I have a feeling. I probably got my mum a little trinket pot from... Now I think about it, we talked about shops that did two things. There was a shop in Upminster that was half a video shop called Penny Farthing. Mm-hmm. Weird name for a video shop. And the other half was called Pretty Pots. Oh. And that's why it used to sell nice things. And I have a feeling I bought my mum a little trinket pot from there. But I also... It suddenly occurred to me the other day, was buying things when you went on a school trip... Mm-hmm. And I remember I'd buy my dad anything with a steam train on because he loves steam trains. And oh, wow. <laughs> my dad won, you know, an enamel badge with a steam train. Well, on. I think I told you. I think oh, I told you before the only the only uh, school trip that bears the name. Uh, we once went to Germany and Switzerland. Now I remember it was fifty-eight quid, and you had to pay off instalments over a year. Fifty-eight pounds. How old were you? 
12, maybe Gosh. 11. So it's about 68, 69. And, uh, and our school didn't, you know, it didn't go in for things like that. But they announced that for those who wanted to go, we were doing it. It wasn't an exchange, but we had to pay. I mean, £58. And my old man goes, sure, you want to go on this? <laughs> and he was, I was taking a pound a week to be ticked off. Everyone else had ticked it off by January. Uh, and then so I said, I've got to finish it up next week. They were going on Saturday. <laughs> How much are you still in arrears? So I'd say, uh, oh, I think you've still got to give him 17, 17 quid. Fucking it, all right. Anyway, so away we went. Uh, it was it was a pretty uneventful. We went. We really did go to a cuckoo clock factory, I promise you. Oh, yes, we yes. did. Well, we stayed in a nondescript town. I don't remember much about it. But I do remember the present I brought back for me mum and dad. And I'm 11, remember. It was a massive knife with the flag of Switzerland on it. And it was about 12 inches with a sheath. I brought, and, I brought, and I brought that back on the coach through customs. And then, you know... And I always wanted them to put it on the wall, but they didn't. Uh, they left it in a drawer. Anyway. Oh. That's all right. That's all right. As you can see, I'm a fully rounded adult. <laughs> right. Uh, before we do the advert, I'll bring you this. Uh, this was, um, uh, I think this is about fruit injuries, which we can um, kind of uh, stretch the rules a little for. This is from a, uh, our friend Paul, who lives in Badi Basit in Brazil. In Brazil. People listening to us in Brazil. Oh. Anyway, he says, uh, uh, your podcasts have been the soundtrack to my lockdown five milers uh, around the locale. Quite what my good neighbours make of the uh, sweaty puce stranger lolloping around to the sound of the golden shot. Vinyl name is anyone's guess, although it does seem to help with the old two-metre rule. Thank you very much. Now, you may think Brazil is a land solely acquainted with pleasure, carnival, football, beaches and the like, but there is a more sinister side. I'm not talking about the favelas or the somewhat skew with present, not even the nasty little fish that goes a place no fish could go. No, for true horror, you need to look no further than the cashew apple. I first visited Brazil 14 years ago, lucky enough to be sent on a month-long work trip to see the local sugar industry up close and personal. Being my first time in the country, I was open to trying every kind of new and exotic food I could find. The meat is obviously the main ingredient here, but going to the fruit market was particularly educational. Who knew that the cashew is not only not a real nut, but also that it grows out of the bottom of an apple-shaped fruit? I didn't know. I had no idea about that. No! It's not a nut. I, do, I, I did know that bit. I didn't know it grew out of the bottom of an apple-shaped fruit. Thrilled at this discovery, I asked a stallholder for one of the shiny orange fruits with the faux nut attached, readied myself for a taste sensation, and dived in to a crushing disappointment. Neither bitter nor sour, the fruit nevertheless managed to be mouth-puckering and spirit-crushing. How could something so exotic yield so little enjoyment? I thank the vendor for the example, excuse myself for not wanting any more, and console myself with at least having the cashew nut to enjoy. As I clamped my jaw around the shell, I assumed the vendor's frantic waving was to discourage me from damaging my teeth. No problems here. I'd bitten through pistachio shells before, and these pearly whites have always stood up to the task. But as the shell cracked and gave way, a sharp pain registered in my mouth. Sharp, indeed, and burning. In my mouth, on my tongue, across my lips, and down my chin, a foul acid descended. Agony. But Signor Greengrocer seemed to find it all rather funny. Well, it turns out that cashew nuts have a double shell. Between the two shells lies a reservoir of anarchidic acid, a potent skin irritant related to toxic oil found in poison ivy. The scarring from the burns remained for several weeks. 
and remained present upon my return to the London office, prompting numerous questions to how exactly or where exactly I've been putting my face on my travels. Strangely enough, it took some persuasion to convince my colleagues that the facial rashes were down to fruit and fruit alone. How about that? I'll never complain about the price of a cashew nut again. I know. They're expensive. They're a, they're a, a, a nut within a nut within a fruit. Within and they're acid. Not even, they're not even nuts, and they're full of acid. They are full of acid. How about that? They're like they're, they're the alien of, of, of the Nostromo, and that's the Nostromo is the fruit, and in there is the extraordinary. Alien. I hear that, everyone, and bear it in mind. And kids, if you're listening, cashew nuts have long, pointy teeth. <laughs> We're going to take a little break, and we'll be right back. Hello, I'm Jay Rayner and I host the Out to Lunch podcast where I take fabulous guests out for lunch and grill them to a turn. For now, whilst lockdown reigns supreme, we're staying in for lunch instead and we've got great company. Fascinating people share only the best takeaways with me over webcam. Great food and insightful conversation with the likes of Gary Neville, Sharon Horgan, George Ezra and Dieter Von Tees. If you Have you ever had a cream pie in the face? No! So if you, like me, enjoy food and are missing restaurants, subscribe to Out to Lunch with Jay Rayner, available wherever you get your podcasts. Good morning, everybody. It's the Danny Baker Show, radiating out across the airwaves. Come the sunshine or the rain, come aboard the Danny train. We'll kick our slippers off and throw our cares away. What better thing to do than have a jolly J-Pot too? Don't touch that dial, there's nowhere else to go. Come and join a happy session, wave ta-ta to the recession on the Danny Baker Show. Take it away, Danny. And we're back via Wisby there. Thank you very much indeed. Now, uh, uh, before we move on to a steamed and pressed uh, caller who's on the phone and, and, and called Alexa, which these days, of course, as she well knows, causes great confusion. Uh, but um, uh, perhaps one of the subjects we're doing is terrible plays and songs you wrote as a child. Uh, and our correspondent, Daniel, gets in touch. He says, you won't want to call me. I'm in Israel. <laughs> he says, Exotic fan base today. It is. Well, that, that, that is the nature of the podcast, of course. I, I, uh, I still have a T-shirt you sent me when I rang you on Radio 1. <laughs> Man, those were the days, eh? Uh, on a Sunday morning to answer your question about the connection between Ethel Merman and Bob Dylan. It was too easy and you weren't impressed. I don't know the connection between Ethel. I've forgotten. But plate, look at that. How about that? <laughs> right, I set a question, and then when Daniel rang in and gave me the right answer, I said it was too easy, and I wasn't impressed. <laughs> I set the question, and now I can't remember it. Oh, man. Anyway, somebody might want to uh, uh, get in touch with us about that. Anyway, he says, I provide you a song called Mild Confusion. The lyrics were written by me a very long time ago. The music was by nobody ever, thank goodness. This is a terrible song he wrote, and he still got it. And the words go like this. Last night I met two girls... One head straight hair, one head curls. I knew from then on that I wanted those two, nobody else, just you and you. In a state, I'm in a state of mild confusion. I'm in love with two girls, not an illusion. I don't know which one to take because without either of them, my heart would break. I've tried to woo them both, but it just wouldn't work because both of them thought I was something of a burr. <laughs> So now I've lost them both, 
but it doesn't really matter because I've met two more beauties who I think are even better. Oh, my friend, bravo. Oh, that's a fine example. Here on the day after Bob Dylan's birthday, we're celebrating that, and what he's got to do with Ethel Merman, we don't know. Pipe aboard our caller, Peps. <laughs> right, here is Alexa. Hi there, morning, hi Alexa. guys. Morning, how are Thank you? you so You're good as God. I'm sorry you had to hear oh. that most painful doggerel. <laughs> we came on. I, what can I say? Um, I couldn't write any better. No, it's very good of you. Unlike <laughs> me, apparently, when he rang in and I told him his answer was no good because the question was too easy. A question, Alexa, I had said. <laughs> I was so disappointed, probably somebody got it. Uh, what can we do for you this morning, Alexa? What, what's the story? What have you got? Right. Um, the story is um, when cute animals attack. Um, well, back in 2010, I'd um, gone out to South Africa during the World Cup to help volunteer at one of the local lion parks in Johannesburg. Um, I, was out, and... I was out there and I believe we could have met. How about that? Well, I was there at the time and in Johannesburg, we went. Yeah. We went. Well, well, I thought... How did you get that job, by the way? During the World oh, Cup, I'd like to come over and volunteer with lions, please. I, I, I've yeah, been, well, basically, I've been there the year before to um, on a particular company, and they said, oh, you know, we're going to be pretty crazy during World Cup, and I just thought, spare the moment, uh, why not? Why not? It would be, um, be a good example, good um, chance to do something a bit different. I'd already been there, I knew, I knew, I knew some of the lion companies, how it worked. So, yeah, I was out there, and it was it was pretty crazy. Yeah, there was, the funny thing is... What did the job entail there, Alex? I mean, standing there with pamphlets and when people ask where No, um, there, something like that. There was some, you took ticket receipts, um, you would help clear out the lion cubs, you'd help feed the lion cubs, um, you know, you'd help with them. Um, there was like a touch of cub um, enclosure oh. where people come in and they could like um, touch the lion cubs. And, and, it, and, it, and it was just for the duration of the World Cup, was it? Um, it, it, it ended a little quicker than that. Um, during the, oh. well, flight, <laughs> there were some flight problems, so I decided to come home early. Um, and it just so happened that that was when England came home. Whoops. Alexa, you lost <laughs> <laughs> about as long as the team. So, uh, mm-hmm. But my sister volunteered during the Olympic Games in London. She did mm-hmm. in Greenwich and a lot of things. And she, and she, but she was put in a booth... Uh, just, uh, but nobody, no, near no tourist points at all. In case anyone had any questions, I remember a saying to me, "I have to sit in this booth, and I hate it because they give you this blazer to wear." I look, she said, "I look like a right old frump." <laughs> <laughs> Volunteering, volunteering is replete with trouble. Anyway, someone who's worked with lions wants to tell us about when cute animals attack. Why you go? <laughs> right. So anyway, after um, a couple of hours on my shift, I decided I could take a little bit of a break. And one of the perks was that you could go sitting with the meerkats. You know, little cute little things. You know, you see them scrabbling around, and you know, you stand up in the in the morning, getting the morning sun, and then they cutely chirp and all of that is really quite sweet. So I thought, oh, okay, you know, I'll take a bit of time, take a bit of rest out, and they start crawling all over you and they sniff your ears and all of that. And it's all very sweet. It is, it is. And then one of them decided to go go sniff up my nostrils, like. Mm. It's a bit personal, but closer. Um, and then, and then next thing you know, it does it again, and then bites my nose. Now these are like needle sharp teeth. These are like little cats. And yeah, um, yeah. And all of a sudden, the blood started pouring, and it's like, oh my god! I, I, I'm not only am I like I'm in trouble because you shouldn't really let them get that close to you, but I'm surrounded by tourists from all over the world. Um, and then all of a sudden this volunteer stands up with, you know, blood pouring out and it's like, oh, oh my God, I'm going to be in so much trouble. Um, luckily some... They don't do this some... the advert. They don't do no. this the advert. They do this you, you know, you would have thought I'd have got some sympathy for my boyfriend back in England at the time. He went, no, he just laughed at me. 
Um, and then he well, said, oh, I told my... Yeah. He said, I told my brother, and he went, did you ask about car insurance? It's like, oh, thanks, oh. guys. <laughs> thanks, but, guys. But, no, 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 and believe me, you've already had uh, enough injury here, and I don't want to add insult to it. But, but because members of my own family can uh, uh, answer to this, does the end of your nose in any way resemble some kind of berry or strawberry? You might like, <laughs> you might like a drop of gin, Alexa. I don't know. <laughs> no, no, I, I have no idea. My, my nose isn't, you know, it, it, it's a little bit bulbous at the bottom. But, you know, it's, it's nothing like, I, I mean, I'm literally by the end of lockdown, I probably will have a drink of nose, but that, that's kind of by the by. Um, <laughs> well, well you, you are leaning against an open door here. <laughs> <laughs> but it didn't require stitches or anything. You were fine after No, that, no, no, no. Thankfully not. It was just, um, it, it, I kind of pressed my nose, a bit like a nosebleed, um, and within a few minutes, it was like, I, was, I managed to find a guy who gave me loads of tissues and thanked them and, and sloped oh. off quietly to the kids. Well, it, 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 who'd have thought when you took a job with lions that it would have been Bre- Brea Meerkat who was the threat? And that was the whole point of asking when, uh, when, when cuddly animals attack. Alexa, I can't tell you how uh, pleased I am with the story and you being with us this morning. Thank you very, no very much. Indeed. Thanks, thank Alexa. you. Okay, bye bye. Wonderful. Bye bye, Alexa. That, and that's it. That's it. Fellas who want to name every band they've seen when they come on the air, take notes of that, Alexa, boom, in, out, terrific <laughs> story. Uh, that was just, just stupendously good. So I've got a story uh, in a moment, which we'll, hopefully Alexa will get balm from, because it's a very similar tale. But in the meantime, perhaps what you got? Well, this is from Mike, uh, stuff you found while renovating. Ah. I'm currently renovating a house in France that's been empty for 30 years, judging by the 1989 calendar in the kitchen. <laughs> In the attic, as well as boxes of 1950s French newspapers and Paris Mash magazines, we found beautiful printed lemonade bottles, wooden skis, gun cases, and a package the size of a small loaf wrapped in tinfoil and tied with string. Glinting in the dust-filtered rays of light, squinting between loose slates, it was hanging from a rusty nail, untouched since at least the fall of the Berlin Wall. With the aid of a shovel and some long sticks, the parcel was lowered to the floor and tentatively opened. It was a piece of ham. Oh, I've been hanging that long. Beautiful. Lucky to get it. Lucky to get it. Now, you have to just... I mean, I, ham can't go off, I think I'm right in saying. No, it's up there. It's already cured, right, no, isn't it, it? it? Yeah, it's honey, I think I'm thinking of. Because, you know, they sound... <laughs> no, honey, no, honey never goes off. They've, they've, I promise you, Peps, I know you think uh, I pull this stuff out of the air, but... Uh, uh, the whole point is, it's true. They found honey in when in the uh, when they did the Tutankhamun uh, when they found Tutankhamun's tomb, and they found the honey, and it was still good after two thousand <laughs> years. Honey, bees know what they're doing. Bees know what they're doing. They're not an iPhone. They make these things to last. Anyway, uh, but to, 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 to honey can't go off, but a ham maybe. We don't know what the correspondent doesn't say. Whether they... No, he doesn't. Well, he says it, he said in brackets, "I hope it was ham." Yeah. But, uh, no, I don't think he tried it. Uh, yeah, Tommy Cooper used to do a joke where he would say, uh, West Ham, East Ham, and then pick up a ham, put it to his nose, and go, Poof, old ham. Now, old, that's, that, there's your Tommy Cooper for today. Uh, this is a, a wonderful letter. It is about, uh, the, the, you can't, they couldn't believe you wrote back. This is from Jim in Dublin. 
My father passed away a month ago. I'm sorry to hear that, Jim. Uh, going through his things, I found something he never told me about, and I frankly couldn't believe. In fact, he must have forgotten he received it because it was a letter and a signed photograph from Peter Sellers. Oh, my dad was a massive Goons fan and often told me about meeting them at the stage door after recording of one of their shows. But he never told me Sellers wrote to him though. He must have written to him in about 1955, and this was his response: "I'm definitely going to frame it." Now, Jim, that's fantastic. But all of us are saying, "What did it say? What did it say? Is there any way you could scan that letter?" Oh, he didn't give it to you. No, there's no letter attached to it. No, he's, he knows how to write. Uh, he knows how to keep people coming back. Join us at this cinema next Saturday to find out. No, he hasn't said what it is. Oh. I've got um uh, from Greenwich Market over the years, uh, uh, so many things I've picked up. And these days, of course, that that's all gone. The, the idea that people just turn up and sell stuff because、uh, of eBay and everything else. But over the years, the finds I've had in the street markets, including、um, I bought a, a copy of Hard Day's Night, just because I'd never used to leave records lying there. I thought、mm. I want to leave that lying there for fifty pence, you know. So I, even though I've had、uh, two copies, it was a proper original copy of Hard Day's Night, and I brought it home. And inside of it was the call sheet. From a hard day's night, somebody had got. No. Yeah, and it's. I tweeted it the other week when I found it again, and it says, you know, the date at the top. I think it's like 30th of March, 1964.、Uh, artists required: Mr. Lennon, Mr. McCartney,、oh. Mr. Starr. Their dressing room numbers, their stand-ins names, what was required on set, and it's the scene in Hard Day's Night when they go to the tailors, or they certainly are backstage, and I think it's.、Uh, there's the fellow there with the、um, uh, tape measure around his neck, and、uh, I think George uses the word grotty for the first time, and it says they needed. Scissors, a mannequin, various props. It says one large piece of machinery. I don't know what that is.、Mm. Some cynic on Twitter said that、oh, that'll be the cocaine. I said, Not 1964. The Beatles hadn't met Dylan yet. So yeah, large large code for cocaine. <laughs> John insists on one large piece of machinery. Although, although, though, isn't、uh, isn't it in a hard day's night、yes. where he? Yeah, absolutely right. But he takes the coke in the bottle. But but、uh, but we know now for a fact that they didn't even smoke dope by that point. They had plenty of、uh, prellies, which was the speed. And anyway, we're drifting into the Beatles. <laughs> but the fact is, I found this Hard Day's Night call sheet, which I've still got, and I picked up a Goons album signed by Milligan, Seekham, and Sellers on the back, which is extraordinary.、Oh, yeah, two quid. I've got so much stuff, so much stuff.、Uh, well, anyway, they're, 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 I'm sure other people can join in on that. So give us something over there, Peps. Well, this is from Steve. Um, he says, hearing a talk about graveyards the other day. This is just a couple of weeks back. Reminded me of this tale. You may remember me for my LSD drenched tale of thunderstorms and roundabouts.、Oh, yeah, yeah. The fellow took、um, acid, and then、uh, I'm sorry, it, it's taken a narcotic turn. The show, the <laughs> very early show, this one of our very earliest ones, and he lay on a chair. Him and his friends、uh, experiencing a, a, a tremendous trip. Made it better at night. It was they all got into the children's playground and lay on the roundabout and went round and round while a thunderstorm played out above them. Now that, that was a very evocative tale. Off he goes. Well, as he says, we had to make our own entertainment, and we were far <laughs> fond of a drink or two. I think this is ball four. They found the LSD. One night, Paul swiped a large bottle of schnapps from his parents. Peach schnapps. Oh, what? <laughs> there's an old hangover coming back.、Oh. There's a there's a there's a schnapps flashback. Look at your face. <laughs> oh, just the lemonade. <laughs> We needed somewhere discreet to neck this stolen hooch. We live close to the then abandoned St George's Church in Camberwell and felt the graveyard is a perfect place to relax. We clambered through a broken fence and rested against a Gothic headstone and got sloshed coming up with spooky tales. 
As we began to totter off after towards the exit after polishing off the bottle, one of us, maybe Des, said, what if we get struck down for getting drunk in here? Then, as if on cue, Paul disappeared. Hmm. We looked at each other, looked at where he used to be, and legged it. Panic-stricken and drunk, we scrabbled through the fence and peered back to where our friend has met his fate and heard manic laughing from below the earth. Oh. We tentatively wandered back across the graves and found Paul had stepped into an open one. No. Luckily, long stripped of any contents and no real harm. And in the end, we took stick for screaming as we ran away. And we laughed all the way home. What strikes me now is what good friends we were. As soon as one of us was dragged into the underworld, the other three of us had it on our toes before the dust had even settled. See, this is a sitcom uh, standard. If there's an open grave, one of the cast is going to fall into it. We know that. We know that. Uh, very popular, again, um, uh, my brother and his mates mainly, only ever went once, Nun Head Cemetery, where, close to where I'm in South London. Very, very, Highgate gets all the heat, but Nun Head, which at one time was a very uh, well-to-do district, has one of the used to have one of the great gothic experiences of the Nunhead Cemetery. It was completely overgrown. Sometimes there'd be like 24 obelisks uh, dedicated to some local uh, businessman. Uh, and a lot of the graves had collapsed and were, you could see steps going down into vaults. Oh. It, was, it was the most in, extraordinary place. It got a grant like 10 years ago, 15 years ago. Now it's a very pleasant place. They've done it up. They've got everything's been replaced, you know, in, in memory of those great, but it was a much better place when you just go there. <laughs> and uh, the only time I went there with me and my mates, and it was very, really terrifying. It's a big, overgrown woods, but there's graves everywhere. And as I say, occasionally, you see uh, a, a, one of the slabs rendered in two, like a lightning bolt would hit it, and you see stairs going down into a family crypt. And I remember one of them, we were all saying to each other, go and walk down, I'm not going down there, well, you go down there. No, I'm not going down there. And one lit a match. We said, I'm, we stood there for ages saying, let's go down or let's not go down there. And as soon as we decided, well, it was, I think it was Lenny was going to go first, as soon as his foot went up to the top step, we went, oh, 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 a voice from down below, possibly my brother and his mates went, piss off. <laughs> <laughs> they were already a gang in there. <laughs> it did. And I apologise, you know, we don't usually use the epithets on here, but that's exactly what came up. Curse <laughs> off. Well, well, that's kind of dissipated the, the, the gothic mood. Yeah. These kids, we were much younger than them, of course. Uh, here's um. This is from uh, uh, this is a terrible play you wrote when you were young and just signed by Kay. Uh, at school, we had something called the House Comps. A normal secondary, and it consisted of stage performances. We had to oh, write. Oh, we had that. Did you? House drama alternated with house music. Did you write a play? When you... I was house captain, no, no. We we always used, you know, Greece or oh, existing Malone tests. or whatever. No, but, well, uh, yeah, to... I had to direct house music when I was house Did you? Mm-hmm. Ah, the old auteur and you're coming out again. Here we go. Uh, he said, the final item had to always be a short play, which we ourselves had written in year 11. We were given a title, which we could be taken in different ways. Our year was given the title, The Weight as in W-E-G-H-T or W-A-I-T. We wrote a play which consisted of a horrendous crime being perpetrated off stage and Superman needing to queue to get changed in a phone box. The wait. I myself took the role of a flasher, heavy breather, pushed to the front of our hero to harass a victim on the phone. I promise you, it was much, much worse than it sounds. <laughs> 
<laughs> he then follows up by saying, uh, you've asked about boring jobs too. Uh, say that, you could be Kay. Uh, I do apologize, but we just Kay. She said, um, for a couple of years, I worked in a lab as a senior chemical analyst testing asthma inhalers. Each inhaler has between 200 and 240 shots. Go on. Ask me how I know. <laughs> Literally, day in, day out, I'd fire asthma inhalers into a fume cupboard and count. Weekends too. How about that? Make sure that these are crisps. But how would you know the next one had 240 puffs in it just because your one did? Uh, but thank you very much indeed, Kay, whether you're male or female, for both of those entries. Something else, perhaps, on the clothes. Uh, the last one, Andy and Croydon. Um... Uh, quite, uh, he says apologies for this being late. He's only just found us. This is about famous all the people. Subjects, all the subjects, it's, it's very encouraging. There's no apologies required. They've gone back. No, if you go back over all the subjects, they all remain open and constant. In the 60s, my dad was stationed at Chelsea Barracks. And when he was working weekends, my mum would take us for an ice cream and a walk through Battersea Park and a meander through Chelsea. One Sunday, we were doing exactly that when my mum tripped and fell face down on Chelsea Bridge. A man ran over, picked her up, gave her his hanky and offered to help us home. I vaguely recall he was with a blonde woman, as me and my sister were five at the time. Many, many years later in a conversation, my mum told us it was Mick Jagger. She still had the hanky, which she had since washed and cleaned. And the reason I now believe her was that on the hanky were the initials MJ, and the hanky was from Avery, the posh tailors in Sloan Square. Well, Chelsea Bridge, well, of course, because they, they lived in, they, in the, um, what's that called, that street they famously lived in, a two-minute two walk from there. Uh, Chaney Walk they lived in and, and, and around there. So how about that? But Mick Jagger's blood was washed out of it. I know her, it was the mum's blood, wasn't it? Yeah, but in the telling of the story, that's oh, okay, yeah, 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 Mick, Mick. It's like your mum in the shirt again. Exactly. All, uh, yeah, Mick himself, but her blood was washed out of it. But I'd have kept that and said it's Mick Jagger's blood and reversed it. You know how much they get? You know how much Americans will pay for their Japanese outbidding them? There's nine grand you're never going to see again. Well, thank you, everyone. Run the theme tune there, Phil. One, two, three, four. Climb up, come in, let's cozy down. Wave goodbye to that silly frown as we chase our cares away in the treehouse. The fire's on, it's warm inside. We guarantee you'll be satisfied as we laugh the day away in the treehouse. Take it away, Danny! Thanks to Louise Napoleon Pepper, the great granddaughter of Ho Chi Minh. <laughs> On the other side of London, Wilding has been producing this fiasco. But as always, chiefly yourselves. We'll see you Saturday, everyone. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.